and welcome to Pop Tarts. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine for Women in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn! <laughs> Brooklyn! And today we couldn't be more excited because our topic du jour is Twin Peaks. peaks. Twin Peaks. Both Peaks. <laughs> we're gonna peak. we're gonna get into both of the peaks. Then after we get all deep between the cleave of the Twin Peaks, we are going to revisit our recurring segment, What, what You Watching, watchin'? where we figure out what we've been watching aside from Twin all Peaks. the past episodes of Twin Peaks, getting ready for the new season of Twin Peaks. Murder, murder. Because I'm a grown ass woman. My mind is so blown. Donald Trump, don't you tell Vladimir Putin about Twin Peaks. A- about Twin Peaks reboot. Callie, I would like to start by asking you the question. What was your relationship to the original Twin Peaks series? When did you first watch it and how did it make you feel? Oh, I probably watched it in late high school. Mm-hmm. Then I rewatched it later in college. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the the firewalk with me. But mm-hmm. man, does it make you feel old that this is 25 years later? Yeah, 26 even. Where were you when this came out? I feel like I was the perfect age for it. I was 15 years old when oh, it came prime, out yeah. and 16 for season two. And I was really super duper into it. It was very violent and dark and mysterious. And it was full of women. Yeah. It was chock full of women, not just any kind of women, but cool women with amazing mid-century wardrobes. And (laughs) I also, at the time, was a big soap opera watcher. I enjoyed serialized dramas with like, you know, like very heightened, unrealistic, but dramatic storylines. But I did not like the basic bitches that populated them. Like I was there for the stories, but not, I couldn't relate to anybody in them. And I, I mean, I suppose in a certain way, it's messed up to say that I related to the characters in Twin Twin Peaks Peaks, but they were teen girls who were full of pain and angst and heartbreak and secrets Mm -hmm. and and forbidden desires and I and they looked amazing yeah and their styling was impeccable and there's you know a lot more to be said about the women of Twin Peaks but as a teen a heart like in the heart of my teen years it was a very important show to me were you a 90210 watcher no I was not oh I I was there for that. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you, let's just, just jump right into the more problematic side of the women for a moment, if you don't mind. Go for it. So there's a book called Full of Secrets, Critical Approaches to Twin Peaks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and within said book, there is an essay called Lynching Women, A Feminist Reading of Twin Peaks written by an academic named Diana Hume George, who herself is a feminist fan of Twin Peaks. Be that as it may, Uh this was her assessment of the female characters of Twin Peaks. So I quote Ms. George. Certainly, Twin Peaks fed America's collective hunger for wounded, maimed, tortured, dead women. First, we have the victims of murder and or rape and mutilation, Laura and Ronette. High school kids on crack with jaded perspectives and promiscuous sex lives, leading, leading the bordello 
is the smoothly amoral blackie. Catherine is a grasping bitch. Audrey <laughs> is a sexually advanced 18 going on 40. Nadine is bonkers as well as missing an eye. Wheelchair-bound Mrs. Hayward doesn't even have a first name. Margaret the Log Lady is a gifted prophetess, but she's also out to lunch. <laughs> we are treated to vividly suggestive scenes of Shelley's beatings and bondage. All Laura's mother does is cry. Audrey's mother begins cold and hysterical, then disappears. Lucy is confined to comic relief only. Uh-huh. Laura's innocent, identical cousin Maddie ups the sexual ante by becoming another murder victim. Josie, the only woman of color on the show, is revealed to be a crazy bitch. Between seasons one and two, Donna switches from ingenue to seductress overnight with no explanation. Peggy Lipton's Norma played P.S. by Rashida Jones's mom. Oh. Fun fact. Peggy Lipton. There were a lot of famous parents in mm-hmm. Am- Tam- Amber Tamlin's dad. dad yeah. uh-huh. uh, Pe- Norma is the only adult woman who remains strong and nobody's fool and is the victim of only one man instead of multiple men. <laughs> uh, it's the blue velvet ambiance exponentially increased, littered with David Lynch's fetish for victimized women. Hmm. Is it problematic that women such as myself worshipped at the altar of the Twin Peaks ingenues? Well, when you're young, you like to, like you said, you know, they, they were like full of problems. That's what you want to watch when you're young. You, something that's like Oh, they got it worse than me. I'm, I'm doing all right, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the part that people want to see. When I spoke to my partner, who is a gentleman of color, he's like, "I didn't watch that trash. There was no black people on it." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "That's legitimately true. There was no black people on it." And you know, there was one woman of color, Joan Chen, and she like spoke in broken English the whole time. Yeah, that was her character. And there was like. You know, a dude from Hong Kong who was pursuing her at some point. But yeah, the Twin Peaks is a pretty white place. And it was a place that had this veneer of mid-century perfection and was absolutely depraved underneath. I mean, regionally, it's, I feel like it was a basic white bread town. Do you think that David Lynch is fixated on making a world that is quote-unquote perfect for him to debase and that perfect world that needs debasing is a white world. That sounds like an interesting angle. I mean, Lynch doesn't talk, really. So it's and hard. when he does, it's it's, it's a, in an enigma wrapped in a yeah. puzzle. So no one will really know his reasoning. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he can even, can't smell yourself. I wonder if anybody's ever pointed it out to him. Oh, I'm sure. I would hope so, but There's he's probably like... No way that they haven't. I'm David Lynch. I don't hear you. <laughs> Do you think that it is incompatible for a feminist to enjoy the world of Twin Peaks. No. You can like trash. <laughs> is it trash? I mean, when you put it down, break it down like that, that's essentially trash. But that doesn't mean we can't sit back and enjoy but a little bit of trash. it was also really meaningful to me to see, like, girls who at the time in the early 90s, one would have called alternative. Yeah. Like, I guess alternative because they had thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Feelings and depth, like, I don't know. Um, But also because they had uh, significant darkness. I was just into it because it was weird. I still can't figure out what the characters are. I'm always like, oh, that guy was in it. I didn't rewatch it before it came out, so the whole time I'm like, who's this guy? (laughs) Why does this guy look familiar? Right. It was a tangled web, and 
I would say that it was much more about the journey than the destination. David Lynch wanted the revelation of who killed Laura Palmer to come at the very, very end of the show. And if they at said, all. If, <laughs> I think he wanted it to be revealed eventually, but not at until the end. Like, that was the central question of the show. ABC forced him to reveal it early in the, in the first half of the second season. And then he was like, fine, but then I quit. Because that's not the show that I want to make. And so halfway through season two, you find out who kills Laura Palmer. And then it turns into this Byzantine, crazy, impossible to follow mystery that spins out after that killing. And so that was never his intention. I found it very difficult to follow after that also. little side fun fact is there's a book... Uh, reflections and oral history of Twin Peaks and the producer Jules Hamelvitz I don't know how to say that last name she alleges that when the show was airing uh, the the guy that was financing it Carl Linder called up and asked to, demanded to find out the killer's identity before it had been revealed uh-huh. apparently it was on behalf of George George H.W. Bush who was calling because Michelle Gorbachev had really wanted to know and he was trying to call for Gorbachev to get the dirt did they give it to Gorbachev? I don't think so. They didn't They didn't say whether they let it lose to Gorbachev. I mean. Yeah. Why would you give Gorbachev America's secrets like that? I know. Well, I feel like if Donald Trump had been president back then, Gorbachev would have not only known who killed Laura Palmer, but also all the secrets to the new season that hadn't even been thought of yet. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. He, our... Trump, Trump's here to ruin this season for us. Don't let him find Donald out. Trump, don't you tell Vladimir Putin about Twin Peaks, about Twin Peaks reboot. Don't you do it. <laughs> but the the really great thing about Twin Peaks for me is that it, it flung the television door wide open for weirdness. Yeah. And so many awesome weird things came after Northern Exposure. Yeah, that which was, was a such weird... a weird show, debuted after Twin Peaks' first blockbuster season. And then The X-Files debuted in 1993 yep. with Twin Peaks cast member David Duchovny. Oh, David Duchovny, who appeared in the second half of the second season of Twin Peaks, then was on oh, X-Files. The, the dark episodes. <laughs> we should refer them <laughs> yeah. to them as. Because that's when, like, anyone that came in towards the second half of the second season, I barely, I think I blocked it from my mind. Mm-hmm. That is the dark, dark eras for me. David Duchovny played Denise Bryson. That's a name. Uh-huh. And uh, David, as Denise, is back. In oh. the new episodes, which is fantastic, and I would was not have recognized that he was from season two. <laughs> I felt I feel like there needed to be like a like a cheat sheet for people that haven't wa- rewatched, and they're like, you know, there's what the, who is this? What this? <laughs> there's some some like mini cheat sheet videos out there, but like nothing that could encapsulate the hundreds of people that were in that show. Yeah, but. If you want to know just generally who has returned in the new season so far, Mm -hmm. there's going to be more. But in the first four episodes, we saw Kyle MacLachlan return as Dale Cooper. True test of any hotel, as you well know, Diane, is that morning cup of coffee, which I'll be getting back to you about within a half hour. He hasn't aged. Like, he has a little bit, but he's still... There was a part where he's in the Red Room, and I was like, are these scenes from the Red Room from the original season? It's pretty amazing. He's back looking fresh-faced. 
And Majin Amik, who plays Shelly Johnson, is back. What's wrong with Shelly Johnson? Shelly was constantly being tortured by Leo in the original season. I don't remember this at all. She works at the Double R Diner. Um, uh, do you want pie with your coffee? Dana Ashbrook is back as Bobby Briggs. Afraid? I'm gonna turn it upside down! He shows up as a cop. Who could have known that such a troubled teen would turn his life around. Richard Bamer's back as Benjamin Horn, who owns the Great Northern Hotel. Okay, that guy and his brother. Mm-hmm. And his brother, who's now uh, cultivating legal weed. Yes. As and part wearing of weird socks, I feel like. The Horn Empire, yeah. And particularly poignant for me, Catherine Coulson was there as the log lady. My log saw something that night. Just shortly before she died of cancer. That was amazing. You could see her just barely clinging to life in her scenes where she cradled the log and gave important psychic information to Hawk, and it was very moving. I wonder if we're going to see more of her, how much they have shot. And Miguel Ferrer, who was the very rude Albert Rosenfeld, who was in... Give me a face. The original. He, like, came and was, like, talking smack to everybody in the Twin Peaks police department, and so he got punched in the face. Well, I've had about enough of uh, morons and halfwits, dolts, dunces, dullards, and dumbbells... And you, chowderhead yokel, you blithering hayseed, you, you, you've had enough of me. He is also deceased, but he was oh. he came back for the new season and and appeared in it before he died. It's great that he's back. Um, Harry Goes is back as Andy Brennan, Officer Andy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I need all clues on these. Mm-hmm. And he's back with Lucy. Officer Andy, this is peak activity time at the station switchboard. So it's really not convenient for me to talk right now. Lucy, who's with Officer Andy, played by Kimmy Robertson, doesn't look like she aged at all. Which the, one she's it? the receptionist at the Oh yeah, she at looks the police totally department. the same. And one of the more hilarious new cast additions is that in the new episodes that were just dropped, Michael Sarah shows up as Wally Brando, their child. I think this is when I had fallen asleep. Well, then you'll get to it. It came out. It. I had to watch, start watching it at midnight, and that is a long, yeah, long dive. You did it for the podcast. I locked in. Also, <laughs> Laura Palmer. She's um, back. She is back. Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer and her identical cousin Maddie Ferguson. So, in the in the beginning of the new series, we get to see Agent Cooper in the Black Lodge, which is the scary in between place between. The Earth and someplace otherworldly, where Perhaps he's been trapped down. for twenty-five years, people, right? Looking fresh as a daisy and yet inert. And then Cheryl Lee comes in as Laura Palmer, and they're looking at each other, and I chills all over my body. Did you notice she was like walking backwards, and then they sped it forward? Yeah, the sound of her of her footsteps. Yeah, that was so creepy. I love it so much, and it. There was just, like, looking into their faces 26 years later, like, I I got verklempt and I was in a room full of very smart, capable, feminist women who are really into Twin Peaks all sitting around the TV. And then when Laura Palmer came in and was looking into Dale Cooper's eyes, just like 25 years ago, it was magic. You could feel electricity in the air. It was so poignant. I wasn't that moved, but... (laughs) 
you know, like I said, I hadn't re- revisited it before. So I'm just the whole time I'm like, I need a character chart, like mm-hmm. some kind of flow chart here. Michael Horse showed up as Hawk. Hawk, the police officer. Yes, I, re- I remember him. Mm-hmm. And David Patrick Kelly, we, we said, is back as Jerry Horn, who is the, the brother of uh, Benjamin Horn. Who is now selling oh, weed. Oh, such a web. Oh, yeah, that's the hotel. Mm-hmm. David Lynch shows up in episode four again as Gordon Cole, the hearing impaired FBI agent. Yeah, I may have also fallen asleep by this point. I got to rewatch the last. Shockingly, as good as, you know, Kyle McLaughlin looked, as good as Kimmy Robertson looked, my prize so far as just as far as the first four episodes of the new season go. Of best preserved person from the original series <laughs> has got to go to James Marshall, who was James Hurley. He's blonde now. He is so foxy. It is ridiculous. Which one's James Hurley? So James Hurley in the original, he was Laura Palmer's secret boyfriend, rode a motorcycle, was full of angst. Oh, but he was like kind of a dull character, right? He was, he was like... Well, if you really love someone, it's like this bright light is shining on you all the time. You're right in it. That's like the Dylan of 90210. I will have to take your word for it. <laughs> but he looks so good. I am sure that James Marshall is going to be back in more episodes as James Hurley. Check out his hotness. You will be amazed. You know who I was really excited to see was that guy from Scream. He played the... Oh, now you're talking about... Um... He's a new character in this round. Matthew Lillard. Yes. Uh-huh. He has a good part. He has a juicy, juicy part as yeah. someone who may or may not have committed murder. Murder. And I, Camilla was like, this is my husband, Camilla. He was like, is that, the, is that the guy from Scream? And then he makes that face that you know that's like the... The Scream face? The Scream face. And I was like, oh, my God, it is that dude. What has he been up to? Yeah. He's... That was refreshing. That was a throwback to me. Al Strobel, who was the the one-armed man, was back right away in the Black Lodge. Mm -hmm. I was also excited and astonished to see Carl Stryken as the giant return, even more gaunt and giant than he was before. He's back and is even more of a creepshow I've noted people keep pointing out that in the credits, he's just marked as question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, and not called the giant. He's not the giant anymore? Even Not though he's credits. clearly the giant. Yeah. And as you mentioned, our friend Amber Tamblin's very accomplished father, Russ Tamblin, is back as Dr. Jacoby. Yes. Which is really excellent because he had a, a heart attack not that long ago. Oh, I'm glad he's okay. And he's back and ready for action as Dr. Jacoby. I was very happy to see that. One more thing that I wanted to mention about the returning cast is someone who has not returned very, very conspicuously, who is Laura Flynn Boyle. She played Donna. Oh, yeah. Who is, Laura, who is Laura Palmer's best friend. She had a huge part in the series. She's one of the only main characters who is definitely not coming back. And I suspect it is because she completely disfigured herself with plastic surgery. Oh. Do you think that she... I don't know if you've seen pictures of her lately. No. Like, we're talking about Joan Rivers' RIP levels of plastic Uh, surgery that obviously were not necessary. And she was rendered almost unrecognizable by these procedures. And I'm wondering if, A, 
David Lynch decided not to recast her because she wouldn't look like her character. Anyway, B, she decided that she wasn't going to do it because she didn't want people talking about her face. Or C, none of the above. She just didn't want to do it. Hmm. She's such a, she was such a big character in the original show. I feel like Lynch could find a way to get around. I mean, he made the, the, the elephant man. <laughs> I mean, if he could make the elephant man, he could make Laura Flynn but also, Flynn I back mean, in. He made the, the left arm character a talking plant with gum on it. So he can do whatever he wants. All right. So it's a mystery. I just want to know the answer. Also, what's going on when um, Laura Palmer takes her face off and it's just like a a white void. Yeah, it looks like that thing that Trump was holding over the weekend. But That's right. Why was his hand on the, What was that? Our president was holding a symbolic glowing orb in Saudi Arabia uh, around the same time that David Lynch premiered uh, a scene in which Laura Palmer removed her face and there was sort of a glowing, glowing orb. orb beneath. I had not thought of the of those two <laughs> together, but I think you may have cracked some kind of subversive <laughs> geopolitical code. I was excited to see in again we're talking about the brand new series that obviously David Lynch was given a giant pile of money Mm-hmm. And told to do whatever he wants, and he was—he basically said that he approached this project not episodically, but as an eighteen-hour-long movie. Yeah, <sighs> not many people could make an eighteen-hour-long movie, but he can do it. We'll find out because he's already lost me. <laughs> like it's just I too say many try people. It when it's not after midnight, it's so many people to keep track of. Like, mm-hmm. eighteen hours of that. I, I would be like, I still don't know. I didn't know what was going on when it started. I don't know what's going on in the middle. I won't know what's going on at the end. But I'll tell you this. Just in the same way that the original series was very simply about who killed Laura Palmer and what's going on. And this new series, the very simple question is, there's a big glass box. What's the deal with the big glass box? I don't think that's the only question because then you also got who killed that lady and put the... Uh, other guy's body in the bed. Okay, so here we have three, There's, three questions. This is what I think the problem is. Too What's many going on lines. with the big glass box? There, it, it opens with a big glass box and it contains mysteries. You just have to stare at it. Interestingly enough, I feel like the idea of like. There's a mysterious, so far unexplained big glass box and someone is hired to watch it. Just just stare at it and wait for mysteries to unfold. Just like us, <laughs> staring at our TVs, waiting for the mysteries right. to unfold. Um, I loved that dichotomy. Do you have a theory about what's going on in that box? My theory about what's going on in the box is that it is somehow a conduit between the world of the Black Lodge, which mm-hmm. is a, a metaphysical plane somewhere between the living and the dead. Yeah. And somehow this box in a very unstable, unsteady, unpredictable way could possibly let people from one side through to the other, which opens up a lot of possibilities for past characters from Twin Peaks to come back because so many of them died. Right. You have so many characters who died by the end of the original Twin Peaks who are theoretically scheduled to be in the new one um of course in the black lodge people who were dead show up all the time so right. so that's no problem but i have a feeling that the box is going to be 
um, an exciting way to actually introduce deceased residents of Twin Peaks into the world of the living. I hope. So that's mystery number one. Mystery number two is there is a murder in a town that is not Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Who did that murder and what does it have to do with Twin Peaks? In my opinion, it has to have something to do with Bob. Well, because the accused killer Mm -hmm. is homeboy from Scream. And he says that he has the dream and he remembers he had a dream about killing her, but he knows he wasn't in the house. Right. Which is so Bob. That is some Bob Bob shit right there. Yeah. And then the third question is, how will the issue of there being two Agent Coopers, one that has been sort of in stasis for 25 years and has very limited faculties, and one that has been an evil Agent Cooper possessed by Bob running around the world? Well, once, once the evil guy goes back... Then the other guy goes back into the body, right? That's how it worked with uh, the other dude, Leland. Right. right. But it's not so simple because of there was a weird sort of decoy Agent Cooper who got sucked back into the Black Lodge. So what you have now at the end of four episodes is two Agent Coopers. Wait, you lost me already. That's why I, <laughs> thought I don't think I can stay for it. I think I may not be... I like I love the jump scare at the beginning with the box and then the weird murder part. But everything else I could completely do without. The, all of this other weird shit that makes no sense that's pulling from all these storylines that nobody's watched for 25 years. I'm like, just give me a murder. Just give me this weird box. What the fuck else is all this other shit? And just give me the log lady. I don't feel that it's that it's pulling on a lot of stuff from 25 years ago. There's people and it's exciting to see them. It's, it was too much. I was just like, what? Who's this? What am I, what's going on? I was thrilled. We cannot depart from this without going back to the fact that, as we discussed before, Twin Peaks is a very, very white world. Yeah. In the original show, it's almost entirely focused on this one small town in Washington. Yeah. We've got the new episodes are taking place simultaneously in Twin Peaks, Washington, New New York. York City, and Las Vegas. So there's ample opportunity for more diversity. And so far in four episodes, the only like little sousant of diversity that we get is when uh, an alternate Dale Cooper, who is neither the Bob infested one nor the one who's been in stasis, but a different one is having sex with a black prostitute. And that's all we see her nude. And then she makes a hasty exit and that is the only person of color in four episodes that we see not doing so good like i it's not okay it's not okay and i love david lynch's work and i love the show and i was like stop ruining my good time (laughs) i really sincerely hope that he adds some more people of color into the show and not just nude prostitutes how many oh so this is going to be like how many hours long so he's it's got going to be 18 hours and he's got some time four have been unleashed upon the world well i hope far. he stops adding white people only adds people of color because if he keeps adding white people and people of color and keeps adding all these people i'm not going to be able to keep track of shit i have the cast list here and i can guarantee you that none of those things are going to happen no <laughs> I, I'm serious. I don't know if I'm down for this ride. Like, the, the murders were good, but in between, it's so slow. Like Intentionally slow. Yeah. Art film slow. Not, I don't know if I'm here for that. 
that's a lot of time to devote to something that every once in a while is interesting. I find the silences as interesting as the action because it creates atmosphere. It creates tension. It creates, dare I say it, existential dread. Yeah, in times, but other times it's just the I'm still sitting there in the silence going, who the fuck is this guy? Well, that's why Showtime's been running all of the episodes of the show and Fire Walk With Me for like months. Yeah, but nobody's got enough time to watch all that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. People get ready. Get ready for Twin Peaks. <laughs> if you want it, you can get ready. I would say give it another chance while you're actually awake before you write it off because it is fascinating as a piece of art despite the fact that there are aspects of this entire endeavor that are both racist and sexist. For me, the old episodes were all about the girls. There were so many girls. Mm -hmm. This is all about guys. And this, so far, is much, much more about the gentlemen. Well, it's, mainly about Coops. It's it's Agent Cooper's hero's quest to return to the world of the living. Mm -hmm. And uh, I appreciate that, and I understand that. Um, but I want more women to step to the forefront as soon as possible because those women of the original Twin Peaks were the ones that captured the imagination of the very cool ass women that I was sitting in a room full of ooing and eyeing as as it came about in its in its latest incarnation like we weren't there because we were all in love with Agent Cooper right but I I will not be dissuaded I will watch every episode I will leave no Twin Peaks stone unturned. I have a feeling I'm not going to make it. I'll probably bounce in here and there when someone else is watching it. Still have no grasp of what's happening, just as if I had watched it continuously through. So I feel like we've we've talked it out. Yeah. You're in, I'm out. I'm in, you're out. But the reasons that you're out have nothing to do with a woman of color being exploited. They have nothing to do with their being... Well, because I didn't watch that part. <laughs> they have nothing to do with... With um, David Lynch's obsession with women in peril. No, it's just because it's too. I it's too much going on. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure too Logan is lines. out because it's too white. Makes sense. We'll see if you ever come back to it. If not, <laughs> I'll just fill you in. <laughs> okay. When we return, I'm going to ask Callie Watts since she's obviously not watching Twin Peaks. <laughs> what you watching? <laughs> This is What's Happening Here. I'm Katie Shepard, your host, and this season... I'm Terrence Mickey, and welcome to Memory Motel. I'm Julia Bainbridge, and welcome to The Lonely Hour, which I'm producing in partnership with The Listening Booth. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi. My name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay. Now a grown woman with a supportive husband, Jillian is fine, but that comes after wading through years of pain and confusion. I had been wrestling with this because I knew in the pit of my stomach that my fetish is not caused by childhood trauma, but it felt like my own life contradicted that. Matt, who was a big talker, big personality, loved to be the center of attention, was running away from having to be vulnerable. I don't know. It's like whenever we have this like fights or something whenever I talk about this. It's like I have a shield in my hand and whenever this happens, I just put it up to protect myself. The Listening Booth. 
There's a story inside. And now, the recurring segment, Whatcha Watching? Whatcha Watching. Callie, what you watching? What have I been watching? Um, <clears throat> I watched Girl Boss. Hate did. watch Girl Boss. Did, did you, you watch it? I didn't because I felt like I wasn't going to like it. Did you like it? Here's the thing. It's on Netflix, correct? Yeah. The character, the main character, <clears throat> insufferable. Completely insufferable. Terrible person. Okay. But the writing is so good. And I know oh. that the girl is supposed to be insufferable. So in that extent, she's doing a great job at making everybody hate her. RuPaul plays the neighbor. RuPaul! Which is worth watching for alone. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of really good writing and other characters. Like, the side characters are hilarious. It's very unfortunate that it's about this girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's so irritating. And such a shit human being. Because if it was about any of these other characters mainly, it would be amazing. But I did watch the whole season because I love the side characters. You're telling me... That you had time to hate watch all of Girl Boss and not catch up on Twin Peaks? Yeah, because it's easier to follow. <laughs> fair, fair enough. It's your choice. Yeah, Twin Peaks is way too much. What the fuck is this? Then I watched Casting Joan Benet. Have you seen that? I haven't. Oh, you true would crime. Love this. Yeah, you would love this. Well, this isn't actually about the true crime. This is a, a documentary about uh, the people that are auditioning to be on like a low budget show about the murder oh man oh but it's, it's that's so, very meta it's so interesting because then you see like these kids getting into the mind of a daughter of a girl that got killed uh-huh that's like a baby pageant queen thing so that's like so crazy and then all of the people that are auditioning have their own theories on who killed them so you see that play out and how they play their parts uh-huh so it's really interesting to watch just like the guys the the, the characters playing the parents like if they think the parent actually did it or if they think that the parents didn't do it, it's really interesting to watch how they're, how it affects how they deliver the lines. Right. So that was cool for that. Camillo, I never didn't even know who she was. So we had to explain to him, like, child beauty pageant culture and the phenomenon of this murder. Like, right, it was like the O.J. Simpson kind of, uh-huh. it's going to take over your whole news cycle thing. Because we uh-huh. were like, how have you not? And then we were like, oh, yeah. And Chile, what are you going to care about Joe Monet? What else? What else? I went to go see the Diggable Planets. Yeah, That was awesome. Because you're cool like that. Fly like that. We out. We out. Yeah, that was awesome. But let me tell you. They were still just as good as ever. Amazing. Um, And I went to go see a House of Vans, which is like a... That's like your favorite venue now. Well, because you get free beer. Okay. Um, And also they they have great shows. So I was there by myself because uh, my friend had to bail. She had to go to work. And so I'm just sitting by myself. And this kid comes over to me. And he was like, me and my friends are uh, talking uh, about how it looks like you're in timeout. And I was like, I'm just sitting by myself. What does that mean it looks like you're in timeout? Because I was sitting by myself. Oh, like someone put you in timeout. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just at the show by myself. The punishment, not the magazine. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just out here by myself. And then he was like, oh, you, you're at the show by yourself? You say that so, like, chill. All my friends would... Never want to go to shows by themselves. And I'm like, I am old. Because I'm a grown-ass woman. I am an old person, and old people go to see Diggable Planets by themselves. <laughs> and he was like, you're the only person here that knows who this band is. <laughs> and then I like, I, Nickelback was on. I was singing the words, and he was like, you know the words, too. I was like, I will reiterate. 
that I am old. <laughs> and then I was like, um, I am also married and I am going to go to the VIP bar and get beer because your regular people bar is done here. <laughs> and then I just oh. ghosted on that kid. I was like, leave me alone. Just, I mean, it's nice. It's, it's nice to be hit on, but at the same time you're like, I am here by myself of my own choosing. If I wanted to talk to you, I would come over and talk to you. <laughs> I'm clearly not trying to talk to people. The children are trying to learn your ways. Yeah, I was I was relaxing until they came over. And then mm-hmm. I was like, how are you going to come over and try to talk to me and not try to offer me some weed? <laughs> Where are your manners? Yeah. How are you raising your kids? There was that. Also been watching Saturday Night Live, the Melissa McCarthy set, where she's riding around as the spicy on the that podium podium thing around town. I feel like um, that this election, this is the only positive thing that has happened is she is shining with that character. Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer is the gift that keeps on giving. I wonder if she's going to get a movie out of it. (laughs) Where he just rides all over the world. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) <laughs> I can definitely see that. So that's really what I've been getting into. Good times, man. I've been getting into a few different things. The first thing that I got into is because you sent me a heads up about it. It's a new podcast called Psychic Hotline, $1 a minute. Oh, yeah. How is it? It's hosted by a stand-up comedian, and she calls up every episode. She calls up a different one dollar a minute psychic hotline and you just get to hear her or one of her friends sometimes it's her sometimes it's her friends get a psychic reading from a telephone psychic and i um i've always been very interested in the sideshow art of cold reading and mentalism Mm -hmm. so i find it very very interesting on many levels to hear how different self-professed psychics tell the fortunes of people over the phone yeah right because there's so there's so much less like sensory information that you can get from them just on the phone right so you're basing it totally on the questions that that you're being asked you know like there was one that was giving a guy like a lot of like advice on his clothing you notice that because the the psychics are being paid by the minute they're trying to keep you on the phone that they'll keep you on the phone talking about whatever yeah and there's you know i would say for every five minutes of just sort of like shooting the shit there's like one minute of prediction Uh uh-huh and so uh newsflash i don't believe that anybody that they've talked to so far is psychic i would buy that (laughs) and and um i don't believe in any of their predictions but it's so fascinating to hear the different ways that people decide to cold read over the phone Mm -hmm. that that keeps me coming back again it is called Psychic hotline, $1 a minute. Yeah, it's such a good concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if somebody is going to subsidize you. Yeah. That's the other fun thing about listening to the podcast is that you get to pretend like you're on a psychic hotline and you don't have to pay as free. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Handmaid's Tale continues to roll on and continues to be awesome. Oh, I'm trying to keep up, but I, we've had company at our house and like that's not really something that you could put on when other people are hanging out in your living room. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. Like, it's a matter of me not being able to get the privacy to watch something that depressing. You know, I would say right now that it's the best thing on quote unquote television. I can't wait to get back into it. Even though it's Hulu and not 
traditional television, I would say that it's the best show being made right now. I stand by that. And it, I love how I've, I just recently read the novel and it's still full of surprises and all of the new things are totally in line with the world that Margaret Atwood created. And I'm so delighted by it. Delighted and yet so horrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I'll probably take my binging time and watch that as opposed to when the Twin Peaks is pop. I hear you. And then pursuant to The Handmaid's Tale, the Saturday Night Live one with Chris Pine, um, when he was hosting, they had this really amazing Handmaid's Tale skit. Oh, where, I saw that. Like all the female cast members were in the outfits of The Handmaid's Tale. And like some dudes come by and they're like, hey, how come you didn't come to my party? And they're like, do you not know? It's the Republic. Everything is different now. Different how? We're handmaids. Huh? The government subjugated the women. Who did? Totally oblivious. Like what's the, all happening. the dudes in the town have like total. It has escaped their notice that all women have lost all of their civil rights. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which I can totally buy. That was a really that was a really really high point for Saturday Night Live this season. Um, in tandem with Handmaid's Tale, which is the best. Uh, a movie that I finally saw for the very first time is the 1996 Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, whoa. I haven't seen that in forever. Starring Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando, who cannot even for a moment disguise either one of their crazies. <laughs> like, they are both super nutty in real life, and they cannot even cover it up with acting. Which is okay, because it's the <laughs> Island of Dr. Moreau. But, like, you know that when you're covered... Like, when you're acting alongside, like, a cast of thousands of half-animal, half-people running yeah. around in, like, this dystopian tropical hellscape, and you're the craziest, that... That says something. It says something about you. The reason that I wanted to see it was because I had previously seen this movie called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Moreau, ah. which was this amazing documentary about the original director of the film had these grand plans for it, got it financed, was ready to be the director, and very quickly things descended into absolute chaos. And he was fired, but he didn't leave the island. And he was, like, spookily stalking what? the production as it went on with the new, his replacement director, who was John Frankenheimer, who ended up making it. But, like, you can tell that the the production is totally just like stuck together with scotch tape like everything is on the fly you could tell also that like Val Kilmer was like all right I'll be there for like five minutes and then, like Marlon Brando was like I'll be there for like 10 minutes and it's like it's mostly extras in crazy outfits running around and at some point the original director who got fired snuck onto the set dressed as an animal oh my god this is amazing and so i had seen this amazing documentary about the making of the film but it took me this long to actually see the 1996 movie because i'd heard it was really terrible and it's actually not as terrible as people say like the the story barely holds together but there's right. a lot to look at Right. It's crazy looking. And Feruza Balk is in it as a cat girl. Oh, I forgot about that. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I haven't seen it in a long time. Twin Peaks first season, long time. One thing I want long to tell time. you is, are you familiar with the new Tina Fey produced sitcom Great News? I heard about it, but I haven't. Is it on now? Yeah. Not only is it on, but the, I guess you would call the finale is this week. Oh. But not of the whole show, just of like this season. Then I guess it comes back in the fall. 
And I was so excited because Tina Fey is great. It's Tina Fey, yeah. And like not only Thirty Rock, but Kimmy Schmidt. Like she knows how to make a great. I'm really excited comedy. to get into the Kimmy Schmidt now that that's back. Mm-hmm. And I had high, high hopes for great news. And it stars this actress named Briga Heelan as this news producer who has an overbearing mom played by Andrea Martin, who is a treasure. Who you may know from SCTV, who you might know from Difficult People. Ah, uh, Difficult People. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who is amazing. And so anyway, she plays this woman who's a news producer who has like one of those overly close relationships with her mom. And then her mom gets an internship at the news station where oh, she works. Oh, okay. And so it's like a workplace comedy, like 30 Rock. But it's at a TV news station, and the producer's mom is an intern and is running around causing wackiness. I want to like it so much. It even has, like, the same music as 30 Rock because her composer husband is composing the music again. And so it has, like, the same feel as 30 Rock and the same pace as 30 Rock and, like, wacky people making a TV show. Yeah. And it's not funny. It's not funny. Who's writing it? Not not Faye. I I know that she and Robert Carlock created it. I'm sure there's a staff of writers, but the characters are real. The script is lame and the characters are boring. And Andrea Martin is such a good mom on Difficult People. And then she's sort of like a watered down version of that oh, in this. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll build. I watched three full episodes because oh. I was like, maybe this is just like one of those things that's slow to start. I was expecting it literally to get canceled by the end of this se- like Shit. this part of the season, and it didn't. It's coming back in the fall, so maybe I'm like the only person who can't find anything redeemable about it. Well, maybe it's like for the people that like uh, shows that I don't think are funny but are insanely popular, like How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I've never or, seen How I Met Your Mother. Or what's that that science show? That everybody loves. No. Oh, the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, the Big Bang. Like, they're okay shows. They're not, it's not mind-numbing to watch them, but I would not advise, I wouldn't be like, hey, you know, it's great. I want to like the show so much. I worship Tina Fey. I cannot watch it. It is unwatchable to me. I bet it's for those people. I would love for you to watch it and just tell me what you think to see it. <laughs> okay. Because I actually feel like it would almost be a relief for someone else to say, you're cray. This is great. And in the same vein of things that I don't like, Miley Cyrus just dropped her new video for her new song, Malibu. I always thought I would sing, so I never swam. Did not see it. It's basic. It's I would say it's aggressively basic. Well, she's going on an aggressively basic spin right now. This is like her artistic choice, is to be like... Like, I know that I was co-opting black culture for a little bit, and now I'm back to being aggressively basic, and here you go. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Like that. Yeah, I don't recommend it. If I'm going to listen to a pop star sing about Malibu, which is the name of her song, I'm going to listen to that whole song, because that whole song, Malibu, is the best. Hey, hey, they're all watching you. <laughs> like, just forget about Miley Cyrus's Malibu. Cut straight to Holes Malibu. And get some actual good music in your ear holes. I thought that I had seen every Golden Girls episode ever, but I had missed until this week the episode where Rose goes to rehab. Did you remember that Rose had to go to rehab? What the hell did Rose go to rehab for? Rose was addicted to opioids and nobody knew it. And she started acting like a raging psycho 
and she was like being very you can't tell by my mouth it's just aggressive. Callie's I was like Rose seriously she was was it like a painkillers thing it was like had started out as a painkillers thing and she'd been taking them for like 30 years to like Wait, sleep so and every time, time she, we know Rose she's been she's been on opiate. opioids yes and then finally she was like get me through the night if you can just get me through the night of not taking them then I won't take them anymore and like everyone stayed up all night to try to help her kick and like they, she couldn't kick man she had to go to rehab what? I can't believe so the Rose that I Rose Island sweet innocent pillhead wow I know blew my mind my mind, mind is so blown mm-hmm yeah. Is that why she's so scattered? Because <laughs> she's on pills. Because she's got mama's little helper. Yeah, it was. I was surprised, shocked, amazed. How did it come up to light? She was just act- acting weird, and finally she was like, hey, and guys, was, my 30-year-old addiction. Like, she was just acting, like, to- totally outrageously mean and, and, like, very irritable. And they were like, what's the deal? And they figured out that she had run out of her pills and she needed to get more so she so she could get right. Oh my gosh. This is crazy. Yeah. This is breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> like 30 years later it's like breaking news. Oh yeah. my gosh. No, it's amazing. It's amazing. How I, come in everything that doesn't talk that all this Golden Girls memorabilia it's not opiate addict rose? You yeah. would think that would be like a I'm key sure thing. if you Google it, you can find the exact episode. It just it's for free on Hulu right now. You can that is it. crazy. I want to tell you three documentaries that are all made by women that oh, I saw on, since me. the last time that we spoke. Not one, not two, not but three, and they're all good. All right, give it to me. There's a movie you probably have heard about called Keddy, which is about the street cats of Istanbul. Yes, that looks so good. I didn't realize till I saw it. There's a new streaming channel called YouTube Red. Oh. That has it now, and it, that was directed by a woman, Seda Torun, who is um, a Turkish woman, and she, like, revolutionized the cat cam, I think. Like, she followed these cats all over Istanbul on cat eye level. That seems so good. I'm into that. Istanbul is full of street cats, and, like, everyone takes so care there's of like them a little collectively. Bit of a... so, so, like, there's this thriving cat population that's cute it's super cute it just sort of gives you the idea of like what your cat's lives would be like if they if you lived in a a town where they could just roam free and do whatever they wanted that sounds awesome and then i watched a documentary that is uh that premiered video on demand may 23rd and it's called bad rap and oh i want to see this it is directed by salima karoma and she uh documented Asian American rappers, foremost of whom is Aquafina. Yes, I definitely want to see that. If you haven't heard our interview with Aquafina, go back to our iTunes page and you can hear our lively discussion with Aquafina. But she is the only woman profiled in this documentary. The other Asian American rappers are Dumbfounded, Lyrics, and Rex Dizzy. And obviously, Aquafina is the best. I mean, my only complaint with the documentary is it could use more, more Aquafina. But it, she did a good job, this director. Uh, Salima Karoma did a good job. And it's available on demand. Awesome. And then the other documentary I saw is on HBO. Mommy Dead and Dearest. What is True that? True crime. Of course. Of course. And I was familiar with this case before I saw the documentary. And I was waiting, not at all patiently, for it to come out. This was directed by Erin Lee Carr, who made another true crime documentary that I really, really loved called 
Thought Crimes, The Case of the Cannibal Cop. Did you ever oh, see that documentary? No, but I know this story. She made a great documentary about Cannibal Cop, and this one was equally riveting. In in this story, Mommy Dead and Dearest, there's a woman in, I want to say, Missouri, and she uh, lives with her disabled daughter who is in a wheelchair, and then... Oh, I think I know this one. Uh, concerned neighbors alert the authorities when some weird information starts popping up on Facebook and she's found stabbed to death in her bed and her wheelchair bound daughter is gone. Mm -hmm. They find the daughter and then she becomes the focus of the investigation and everything you think you know about this woman and this daughter as the investigation unfolds gets totally I've heard the twist. I know the twist. The twist is amazing and I'm not going to spoil it. But, like, if you're a true crime person, and especially if you like documentaries that center on women, on fucked up mother-daughter relationships, this has got it all. Yeah, this sounds amazing. It's on HBO. It's called Mommy Dead and Dearest. It's great. The last thing I wanted to tell you is I finally finished watching The Get Down. Ah, how is it? There was a really awesome I'm also behind in that. Um, that took place at the Chelsea Hotel where we were talking about how, when's Jabriath going to come in. And Jabriath was just in this one scene in the, in mm-hmm. the Chelsea Hotel. Dee Dee Ramone was in there. Oh. Justin Vivian Bond was in there. There was like a lot of like both fictionalized and just sort of awesome downtown New York people all crammed into the Chelsea Hotel. That sounds awesome. But overall, the ending is sad. Oh, really? Yeah. I got to get back into that. The trials of tribulations of sharing a television because Milan hasn't finished the first season. So I'm not watching. Mm-hmm. I'm not watching The Handmaid's Tale because I don't want to depress other people in the room. If you need to prioritize, put Handmaid's Tale at the top of your list. Yeah. That's what I'll tell you. It's at the top. And Callie, that's what I'm watching. That's what I'm watching. This was lovely. I've enjoyed lovely. talking with you so much. I. I also want to thank our super producer, Rachel Withers, who has made yet another brilliant episode for us. Of course, we want to thank our pals at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey and Katie Shepard. We want to thank our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can find Callie at Felicia Jenkins, but she doesn't Twitter. But you can also definitely for sure find us via email. Emily Rams at bus.com. Callie W at bus.com. We want to know what you're watching. If What's you tell us what you're watching, we will talk about it on, on these mics. So don't bring, be shy. Bring us your stuff. Bring us your fire. Yeah. And uh, to find out more about Bust Magazine, visit us at bust.com, where all the goodness lives. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you don't rate and review us, then nobody will know. We could that slip we're into here. oblivion. We don't want to slip in. We could spend the next 25 years in the black lodge. <laughs> I was just supposed to say that. <laughs> um, Great minds. Yeah. So if you don't want us to spend the next 25 years in stasis in the black lodge, <laughs> please rate and review us on iTunes. It really, really helps. And we super do. And let me know your it. thoughts on Twin Peaks because I may be the only one that wasn't loving it. I feel like feelings on it are going to be across the spectrum. But yes, definitely. If you have strong feelings about Twin Peaks. I want to know. We both want to know. So reach out and touch someone. Let us know. <laughs> Uh, This has been the best. We love you. Mwah. Mwah.